Song of Solomon, chapter number 2 tonight. And I want to preach to you for a few moments on the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Song of Solomon, chapter number 2. As you find your place there, I'd like to begin reading at verse number 7. The Word of God says, I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rows and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love, till he please. The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of birds is come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Look back at verse number 10. Let's read this, and then we'll pray. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the privilege it is to be in your house, to meet here, Lord, in freedom and in liberty. And Father, there's so many places in this world where folks had to sneak and uh, had to go under cover of darkness uh, to meet together with your people today. But Lord, here we've gathered in freedom that we might worship You, that we might hear the preaching of Your Word and sing the songs of Zion. God, I just ask You this evening that it would not be lost on us the privilege that that is. And Father, that we would approach the, the preaching of Your Word with the reverence that it deserves. Lord, that our hearts would be laid open before Your Spirit. Lord, we love You tonight. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, the book of Song of Solomon is probably one of the most fascinating in the entire Word of God. It essentially details for us a love story concerning Solomon, the king of Israel, the son of David, and a little Shulamite girl whose identity we really know nothing about. It's interesting to me that the whole thing centers around who Solomon is, not who she is. Uh, You see, she isn't anybody. She's somebody because the king loves her. You know, boy, what a picture that is of you and me. I'm not anybody. I'm not anyone important. If you go your whole life and don't know me... Uh, Just count yourself lucky, amen? You go your whole life and don't know me, you've not missed much. But if you go your whole life and never meet Him, you've missed everything. And who I am and the importance of who I am is grounded uh, only in the person that He is. And uh, I'm not somebody because I'm somebody. I'm somebody because I'm a child of the King. It's my relationship with the King that makes me who I am and uh, gives any credence and value to my life. And so this little Shulamite girl and Solomon, it essentially details their love, their courtship, that which birthed out of the heart of Solomon and the heart of this young girl. And it mirrors for us the love relationship between Christ and the church. The Bible teaches us that just as a husband is to be the head of the wife and head of the home and the wife is to love and reverence her husband, that all those things, they're important for the home and they have place and have value in the home. But Paul went on a little further to say in Ephesians chapter 5, he said, Nevertheless, I speak unto you a mystery concerning Christ and the church. So all those verses that all of us preachers use in marriage counseling when we're looking uh, two young, uh, wide-eyed people in the face and we're telling them all these things about the home, and they are important, and it is the right way for a home to operate. Really, the greater truth concerning those things, even beyond that of the marital home, is the relationship between Christ and the church. We, as the church, are His bride. 
He is our groom. And uh, the, right now, we're promised to Him. Amen? We belong to Him. We don't belong to anyone else. The marriage has not taken place, but there's a marriage that's coming. And we're going to be in constant fellowship with Him one of these days. And so in a lot of ways, just as this courtship developed between Solomon and this little Shulamite girl, it shows the love that the church ought to have for Jesus Christ and the love that Jesus Christ has for the church. Uh, it's interesting as you read this book of the Bible because in a, a few verses you'll hear the bridegroom speaking. And he'll be declaring his love for this girl. And then a few verses later, you'll hear her speaking, and she'll be declaring her love for this bridegroom. A few verses later, you'll hear other people talking about the love that they have one for another. And you know, we talk an awful lot about how, uh, about our love for each other. I think we ought to love one another, don't you? Christ said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, because you have love one for another. And I think we ought to love each other. I think we ought to love lost sinners. I'm glad somebody loved me enough to give me the gospel. Amen? But can I say that the only love that ought to outshine that love we have for one another and for lost sinners is the love that we ought to have for Jesus Christ. You see, that ought to be supreme. That ought to be preeminent. We ought to love lost sinners. We ought to love lost sinners the way Christ loves lost sinners. But we ought to love Christ more than we love lost sinners. We ought to love each other. We ought to love the church because God laid the, Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. But we ought to love Christ more than we even love our brethren in the church. And so this is the preeminent love relationship found in the Word of God. And as we read these verses, we're reading about a time, and you can sort of picture it, I'm sure, as this young girl is daydreaming. Can I say it that way? If you've ever been in love, you know what that's like. If you're married, you may have forgotten what that's like. But uh, if you were in love at one time, you remember what that's like when you just sit around daydream about that person that you love. Maybe when you were a teenager, you'd sit there and that, that person that you loved, you'd think about him. You'd think about the day. Some of you ladies, you'd think about the day that he'd sweep you off your feet. Amen? Uh, nowadays, women are just watching out afraid they're going to get tripped. <laughs> Amen? But you, you were waiting. You were thinking. You were longing for that day. Well, that's sort of what this woman is doing. And she is thinking about the day when Solomon is going to carry her away. The day when all of her problems will be ended. The day when all will be well and all will be right in the world. You know, that ought to be our relationship and our attitude in this world that we live in. We ought to be having infatuation with the soon coming of our Lord and Savior. It ought to occupy our mind and our heart. We ought to think often about that day. You know, I worry about Christians that have no joy because I worry about what they believe about the second coming. If you really believe in the second coming, that'll give you hope. That'll give you hope. A hope that purifies your life. A hope that rejuvenates your spirit. A hope that encourages your soul to know that Jesus is coming soon and He's coming for you and I. And that's what this woman is sort of doing. And we learn a few things about her hope of His soon coming. And I want us to notice them tonight. And I've not got a hundred of them, but I think I've got four or five that I want to give you very quickly. I want you to notice in verse number 7, we see a word about the surety of His coming. Notice what she says. She says, I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rows and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up nor awake my love till He please. You know, this young girl, she had no question in her mind. Though it was not at that moment, it could be at that moment. 
She charges him by the rows and the hinds. And we'll talk about here in a little while the swiftness of his coming. But a row and a hind and a heart in the Bible are different types of deer or goat. Uh, they were sort of mountain-dwelling animals that had the ability to leap up the side of a mountain, to be there one moment and to be gone the next moment because of the swiftness of their feet. There wasn't any animal just about more swift than that. And so she's keenly aware that though he's not there now, there's coming a time when her love is returning. And she uses this term. She says, I charge you. Now, we know what that term charge is. And uh, some of you ladies know it better than some of you men. Amen. No, it, it's not talking about a charge card. But what it's saying is this. She's saying, I commit something to you or I adjure you by this. In other words, she's saying of a certainty, I want you to know this truth. Let me say this, that there's a lot of things we don't understand in this world we live in. If you're like me, that's true. Man, I turn on the TV and I don't understand some of the things that are taking place. I look around at society and it doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any how backwards everything is. Sometimes I wonder if they're crazy or if it's me. Amen? But let me tell you something. If there's anything Christians know, we don't know what tomorrow may hold. Uh, it might be, and, and I mentioned it as I prayed, you know, there's a lot of folks across this world that went under cover of darkness to meet together and to worship today. There's a lot of folks that were breaking the law when they went and met together to worship today. Don't think for one moment that that can't happen in America. Uh, let me tell you something. Persecution is coming. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It could be before we ever have another opportunity to meet together that we have to break a law to meet together. We don't know what's going to happen. Personally, in our lives, not just as a church, but as human beings, we don't know what's going to happen. Your world could unravel tomorrow. It could unravel tomorrow. I promise you, we could go down to University of Tennessee Hospital and I could take you from room to room with people whose world has unraveled. We don't know what tomorrow may hold. But I know this. I know this, I know this, I know this. I know it like I know the sun will rise. I know it uh, like I know that there's air to breathe. I know it like I know that the darkness will come. I know that Jesus is coming soon. I have no doubt about that. You've heard people say before, there's nothing certain in this world but death and taxes. I don't think that's real accurate. About half the country does not pay taxes. And one of these days, if it's the Lord's will, I'd like to beat death. Amen? I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the upper taker, as the old preacher said. And so there's going to be a whole generation of Christians that are going to miss out on death and are going to escape the icy hands of death. More certain than death, more certain than taxes, more certain than anything is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that it's going to happen because the Word of God has promised it will happen. You say, what about the other things? What about uh, the sun shining? Well, let me tell you something. There's going to come a day when the sun won't shine, but the Word of God will still be true. It's settled forever. In fact, the Bible says that heaven and earth will pass away before even a single portion, even a single part of God's Word passes away. It's settled forever in heaven. And we know for sure that the promises of God are yea and amen. They are true. They are unshakable. There's nothing that can be done to do away with the promises of God. I know that Jesus is coming soon. We see the surety of His coming reference. Then notice not only the surety, but notice the sovereignty of His coming. Look at what is said here at the end of verse number 7. She says, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that she stir not up nor awake my love till he please. So she understood this. She understood that her love was coming. But she understood he wasn't going to come until he was ready to come. She understood that there was nothing that could be done to make him come any faster. 
than he was going to. She could not speed up his arrival in one way, in any way, shape, fashion, or form. She understood that there was an appointed time for his return. You know, the Bible teaches us that there is an appointed time for Jesus Christ's return as well. It is imminent, meaning it is always upon us. But there is a time, there is a day, there is an hour. The Bible says that of that day and of that hour knoweth no man. But that means that there is a day and there is an hour. And it may not be known by man. It may not be known by the angels of heaven. And the Bible says even to us in Mark thirteen thirty two that it's not even known of the Son, but the Father knoweth. Listen to what it says. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. That means that it can be known, but known only to God the Father. And He knows. Every once in a while, there'll be a date setter come along and gain some traction. Really, there's date setters all the time. I promise you, I mean, this world, it, it, it's, it's a bag full of mixed nuts. Amen? And you can always find somebody that says he's coming next week. Well, the truth is, he could come next week. In fact, he could come this week. He could come in the next few moments. But the Bible gives us no indication anywhere of the moment, of the day or of the hour of when he is going to return. It is literally and explicitly imminent, meaning it could happen at any time. I've heard preachers sometimes get up and talk about all the signs of His coming. Well, there are a lot of signs of His coming in glory, but there are no signs of His coming in the rapture. Uh, they asked Him one day, they said, what are the signs of the kingdom of God? Now, not the kingdom of heaven, but the kingdom of God. We know there's a difference between the kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, if you've studied your Bible. Kingdom of heaven deals with that literal earthly kingdom that uh, is set up in heaven, but will one day be set up on earth with Christ as her king and with a real literal throne that he sits upon. But the kingdom of God deals with all, in a sense, which is under the authority of God, but particularly those spiritually which are a part of the kingdom of God. And Christ said this, that the kingdom of God cometh not with sign. You see, the truth is that the glorious appearing, there are lots of signs before that. Uh, we're seeing a lot of them, I think, uh, the, the way being made for them even now. If you look at the economic crisis that is hitting the world, uh, I'd say it's just about time for a global currency, wouldn't you? Seems like economies can't behave anymore. And you go over into Europe and it's a, it's a race to see who's going to leave the Eurozone first. And it's all getting ready to crumble. Our dollar gets weaker. Every currency, it seems, gets weaker and weaker and weaker. It's about time for somebody with a forked silver tongue to stand up and say, you know, we ought to just do away with all currencies and get a global currency. We look at the uh, religious ecumenicalism that is infecting and polluting our society. Let me say this, that I am in every way, shape, fashion, and form opposed to ecumenicalism. You say, what's ecumenicalism? Uh, isn't ecumenicalism fellowship? No. Uh, for folks to have fellowship, they have to agree. Maybe not about every little detail, but there are certain things. The reason you're here tonight is because we agree about some things. I'm sure we don't agree about everything. I mean, if I was listening to my sermons from uh, even two weeks ago, I probably wouldn't agree with myself on everything. But there are some things that we do agree on. And we have fellowship based upon those things. You say, isn't it unity? No, it's not unity, because unity implies a singularity of purpose and of cause. You see, ecumenicalism is the putting aside of all doctrinal and scriptural distinctions that we might ignore that which defines us and instead seek to grasp hold of that which, should, uh, which will change the way we're defined for a common purpose. Ecumenicalism is people saying, I'll pretend I don't believe anything and you pretend you don't believe anything and then we'll get along. I am absolutely opposed to ecumenicalism in every way, shape, fashion, and form. 
And yet we find the world shifting and moving towards that system of thought. Oh, there's many signs for the glorious appearing. And we're starting to see the way made for a lot of those. Technology is at a place that it's never been at before. Things are possible today that that used to would not have been possible just outside of divine supernatural intervention. But now there's technological capabilities today uh, that are, are just as simple and just as common as a blender, as a vacuum cleaner. You see, the truth is there's a way being made. But despite all those ways being made concerning the rapture, There's a day and an hour and no man knows it. And they can set all the dates that they want. Those dates will mean nothing. There's a particular day and the Father knows it. And there's nothing that can be done to hasten it. And there's nothing that can be done to delay it. It's coming. I believe it's coming soon. We see the sovereignty of His coming. Notice verse number 8. This is interesting. She sort of breaks forth in this passage and she says she hears something. You see, here she is. She's sitting there talking. And she's talking about two things that she knows. She knows that He's coming, and she knows there's an appointed time for His coming, though she does not know when. You know, that's the state that the church is in today. We know He's coming, we know He's coming soon, but we don't know when He's coming. And then all of a sudden, in a moment, like in the twinkling of an eye, she hears something. What does she hear? She says, the voice of my beloved. In a moment, she hears a shout. And she says, the voice of my beloved Behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. You see, his arrival happens with a shout. I think in many ways that's indicative of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when he comes, he's coming with a shout. This is what the Bible says in Revelation 4.1. John says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 says, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. It's interesting that the first thing we should experience when the Lord returns is His voice. Because that's the means by which we've known Him this entire time. We've never seen Him. The Bible says, Whom having not seen ye love, and rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's not been His sight that we've grown accustomed to. It's been His voice that we've grown accustomed to as He's spoken to us through the preaching of the Word of God, uh, from the, so through the stirring and moving and speaking of the Holy Spirit, through the reading and studying of His precious Word. That's how we've come to know Him. And when He returns, He said this, My sheep hear My voice and know Me. And there's coming a day when we're going to hear His voice. It could happen before we leave here. You know that? Do you really believe that now? I know you know it, but do you believe it? There's a difference between knowing and believing. Amen? Uh, there's a, I was joking with Eleanor Vincent when I walked in the hospital and she had, you know, she fell off her porch and she had thought that they had thought that she had broke her neck. She didn't uh, break her neck. I walked in, I said, Eleanor, uh, we're going to take up an offering at church for you. We're going to have to buy you a, a shorter bungee cord. Amen. You see, when, when a man jumps out, uh, you know, it's one thing to look at that bungee cord and to know it can hold you. It's another thing to look at that thing and really believe it can hold you. Amen. The person that will stand to the side and surmise about it, he knows the bungee cord can hold him. The person that jumps off the ledge, he believes that the bungee cord can hold him. I know you know Jesus is coming soon, but do you believe He's coming soon? In a moment, we could hear that shout. We could hear that trumpet. You say, but preacher, it's never happened. Well, people have said that before. In fact, listen to what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, in verses 3-4. through 4. It says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? 
For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. You see, it's nothing new for people to criticize and critique and be cynics about the second coming. All the way back in Peter's day, there was some that was saying that. And it was prophesied that they would increase more and more and more and more. It's amazing when you read some of the things that people say and you read some of the opinions and listen to some of the opinions out there. You'd be amazed how many people think that we're gathered here just to talk about a bunch of fairy tales. There's lots of folks believe that. Peter addressed that. He said, we've not followed cunningly devised fables. They were calling it fairy tales when Peter was around. They're still calling them fairy tales today. He said, we've not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and majesty of his coming, but were eyewitnesses of the same. He says, I was there on that Mount of Transfiguration. I saw with my very eyes him transfigured. But he says, you know what? We have also a more sure word of prophecy. For until you do well that you take heed until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. In other words, he says, the word of God is even more sure than my eyewitness testimony. He says, it's not cunningly devised fables. There's truth. There's substances. Listen, I know you're getting brainwashed day in and day out to believe that this is just a book of fairy tales. And they'll say that and they'll claim that and they'll declare that. But I'm here to tell you that one of these days, it could be in the next few moments. It could be in the next year. It could be in the next ten years or a hundred years. The bride's going to hear a shout and be out of here. It all begins with a shout. That's why I like shouting. Amen. Because it's all going to happen with a shout. Look at verse number eight, the very end of it. She says, behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains skipping upon the hills. She says, My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. We see the swiftness of his coming denoted. Some of the fastest animals in existence is who this young lady points to and says, That's what my beloved is like. He's like a roe or a heart that's absent one minute, present the next, gone one second, and back again. But then she says this. Notice where she says he's at. She says, he standeth behind our wall. Now, what's that wall? Well, Paul talked about it this way. He said, now we see through glass darkly, but then face to face. You understand that there is a barrier of sorts that separates the physical from the spiritual realm. We understand that all of that which is spiritual is, is just as real. It may not be temporal, it may not be experiential, at least in a physical sense, but it's just as real. And he just stands on the other side of the wall waiting. She describes his shadow. She says, he looketh forth at the window. So, oh my, we could sit and preach for an hour on this, on where he's standing and on what he's seeing, and then on what he's showing. Look at this, showing himself through the lattice. You know what lattice work is, don't you? I remember when I was growing up, we had, and I guess your deck probably this way growing up, we had, we had lattice work around the bottom of the deck. And uh, you, you know what? You couldn't always see plainly what was on the other side, but if a possum or a skunk or something got up underneath there, you couldn't see exactly what was on the side, but you could see enough to tell there was something on the other side. You know, sometimes we look at this world and we look at what's happening, and a lot of preachers have wasted a lot of God's people's time sitting around trying to preach from headlines and set dates. You know why that is? Because we see things moving and shifting and shaping. We can't always put our finger on what we're seeing, but we know we're seeing something. I, I, there's a lot of things that people call Bible prophecy that are not Bible prophecy. Can I give you an example? Some of you are going to get mad at me. Some of you are going to storm out when I say this, but I, I'm bound to say it because I believe it's true. 
when when uh, Israel was reformed into a nation in 1948, that wasn't the, the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. I'm not saying it wasn't significant. I'm merely saying that wasn't the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. You say, well, what about the book of Zechariah, where it says that a nation shall be born in a day? Well, it does say that. But go ahead and read the context of the book of Zechariah and read the rest of it. It's not talking about born as a nation. It's talking about a nation that already exists being born again spiritually when they look on him whom they've pierced. I don't believe that 1948 was a fulfillment of Bible prophecy, but I do believe it was significant. I do believe, though it may not have been a, a, a sign, I do believe it was a shadow of things that are coming. You see, you can't always see everything plainly, but there on the other side of that latticework, you can see him there waiting. Uh, you know, the Bible says that not even the sun knows. And just, just like a man that's sitting there waiting, looking through the window, waiting on the other side of the latticework, standing behind the wall, he's ever ready to make his appearance. He's waiting for the Father to say, now's the time. Now's the time. You better believe that when that is said, he'll be here in a moment. Listen to how the Bible describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. I heard one preacher describe it this way. Somebody asked him, said, what's a, what's a twinkling of an eye? He says, when you're sitting at a red light and the light turns green and before you even have time to think, the person behind you honks their horn. said, that's the twinkling of an eye. So fast it almost can't even be distinguished. Just in a moment, it'll happen. His coming is soon, but His coming is swift. Notice verse number 10. We see the stealing away of His coming. It says, My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. We already read it there in 1 Corinthians 15, so I'll not read it again. But I do want to read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 the way it's described there. Uh, we read verse number 16 a moment ago, but let me read it again to you. It says, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Uh, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. There's going to be a reunion that day. I'd never thought about it before, but... That reunion will take place in the clouds. We know that because it says we'll be caught up together with them. You've got someone that you love that's died in the Lord. There's coming a day you will see them again. You'll be caught up together with them. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, caught up with them in the air. I believe that more than I believe you're sitting in front of me. And you ought to believe that more than you believe I'm standing in front of you. It's more sure than anything that Jesus is coming soon and His bride will be caught up. Let me give you one final thing and I'll hush. Look at verse number 11. And I'm not going to deal with all of it, but I just want to touch on each of these. It says, For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. Now what's being said here? In verse number 10 it says, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away, for lo. Now what does that mean? In other words, she is, or he is pointing to these facts and saying, Let's come away. Now's the time. Why is it time? Because the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of birds is come. The voice of the turtle is heard in our land. You didn't know turtles have voices, did you? <laughs> Speaking of turtle doves there. 
And it says, The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. You know, in other words, what he's saying, he's saying that the time of, the time of drought, the time of despair, the time of depression, the time when the days are short and the temperature's cold, the time when all is dreary, he's saying that's over, that's done. He's saying it's springtime now. And it's time for our love to blossom and to bloom. Can I just encourage you by saying tonight, as you turn on the TV and see a world in disarray, as you look around you at a, at a world that seems like it's been turned upside down, you look around and, and it feels like the devil's winning sometimes. Can I remind you all that's going to change in a moment one of these days? You know, see, he thinks he's winning, but here's the thing. Our general ain't even shown up yet. You know, he thinks he's got this thing sewed up. But I mean, the cavalry hasn't even arrived yet. And there's coming a day when he'll arrive. Don't you look forward to that day when winter is past? Man, isn't it something? After, after winter has been set in for a good long time, and that first day of spring when you go outside, and everything's green and everything's blooming, and your nose locks down closer than a you know, Fort Knox security door, and your head... Swells to eight times the right size and your eyes clamp shut. (laughs) That's East Tennessee. Amen. I'm glad that ain't heaven. That's East Tennessee. But man, how refreshing that is to know that the dreariness is past and that the daytime is just ahead. I heard one old preacher, he said it this way. A lot of folks are saying that midnight is almost here. I'd say this, that midnight has been here, but daylight is almost here. We're, We're not waiting for things to get dark. Things have been dark. We're waiting for things to get bright. We're waiting. Listen, we're not waiting for persecution to come. Persecution is here. We're waiting for the King of kings and Lord of lords. And there's coming a day, the sights and sounds that are defined, oh my, they're stupendous and splendous. There's coming a day when Jesus is coming soon. I wonder if you're ready for it. We ought to all live perpetually ready for it. And I'll admit to you, I fail at that a lot. There's days I wish that I could somehow go back and do it over again. I'd do more for Jesus Christ. But I can't get those days back. Some of you, you may have woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. Sometimes I feel like it's the only side my bed has. And you wish you could go back. Well, you can't go back, but you can do with the time you have that which would glorify the Lord. Maybe you look at the past week, past month, past year, past ten years and say, I've not done for Jesus Christ what I want to do. Well, don't fret over that. It's past. If you trip over your past, you're headed in the wrong direction. Don't worry about that which is behind. You can't do anything, but you can press on to those things which are before. And you can determine that you're going to live for Jesus Christ. I wonder if he came back in this moment who'd say, Preacher, I wish I had lived for him more. Why don't you make a commitment tonight with the time you have left to live for Jesus Christ, to do more for him than you've done heretofore, and to make the most of the time, redeeming the time, the Bible says, because the days are evil.